and welcome to the 66th episode of Everyday Channel. With me tonight, as usual, are our two GP Atlanta contestants, Bob Wang and Eric Lenton. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going well. Me too. Going Eric, pretty well. what have yeah. you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, well, I mean, traveling to Atlanta, so that was a trip. I did that. Other than that, not a whole lot. Do you stream any any interesting sweet decks, or have you been grizzled branding it up lately again? I got a five zero with a with a Delver Phoenix deck. I'm not sure how interesting that was, though. <laughs> Are you um, ever gonna return to Soul Sisters? I have not returned to Soul Sisters, not in a while. Do we need to pay you to to return to Soul Sisters? That would do it. Have you played the Hogak deck? I played the I played a Jund Hogak deck, and I've. Started playing the bug one today. There was like magic online went down, and oh, my yeah, first match took like 40 minutes because my opponent was playing very slow. So I only made it through three, three matches with bug. Um, so I played Jund, and I've played some bug. So yeah, I've played the Hogak decks. Do you have any thoughts on it? Kinda, yeah. I, I'm not super impressed by it. I don't think it has a. I think it has a worse game one against the field than Reanimator does. It's as weak to Leyline of the Void as Reanimator is, and... Um, well, so against Leyline of the Void, you can sometimes win with Shady Creatures, and also you get to play Force of Vigor, so that's, like, the main reason that it's better against Leyline. But I don't think that that's true, because uh, in my Reanimator list, I have seven answers to Leyline, and I can also play my creatures with Dark Rituals, so... I'm not sure that you're actually winning with, like, two twos more often than you are hardcasting a Dark Ritual, or, and I don't think you're winning with three force of vigors and three reverent silences more than you are winning with your seven answers to leyline so i don't actually think it's better against leyline i think it's uh probably a little either the same or a little bit worse and it's a little bit better against surgical but again i'm not like my win percentage against blue decks is very high so i don't think reanimator is like particularly weak against surgical how often does it actually come up that you get to hard cast your creatures with dark ritual because i know that in the past you also played what's it called lake of the dead and that sometimes enabled Grave Titan, and sometimes, I guess, even Grizzlebrand. Is that still a thing? Uh, you could, yeah. I mean, I'm not playing Lake of the Dead anymore. I've decided that instead of playing a Lake of the Dead and Grave Titans, I just went up to more an more answers to Leyline of the Void and found that to be a little bit better. Um, but hardcasting Grizzlebrand comes up f fairly often. I still believe that like this whole Lake of the Dead thing was like... Uh... Like a pump and dump scheme. And <laughs> now you're like super rich and you're like, la la la, Lake of the Dead, come on. Well, so Eric and I, we bought Lake of the Deads a while ago because we were both playing the Reanimator Depth deck. This was over a year ago. And then we, so we were playing it and thought it was pretty good. But then it actually did spike. Unfortunately, we didn't sell it when it was $50 and now it's like $20. Yeah. So what's the next big deck that's actually coming down that's not really as good as advertised? Um, well, there's a couple cards. I think I've looked at the reserve list, and I'm like, why is this card not more expensive? The, I think the highest one on that list is is probably Illyrian. Let me just double check the price, but it's like a semi playable legacy deck, and for whatever reason, it's on the reserve list, but it's still really cheap. It's thirty dollars. It looks like, but like if it ever top eights a GP, and I think it has top eighted GPs has, like has, in, sure. in Seattle, like not that long ago. And I know a certain Japanese player called Otaba has been playing it a lot in Magic Online. And I, I played against it twice the other day when I streamed a league with Once Upon a Time Depths, which we can talk about later. But yeah, I think it's a deck that's like legacy playable. I don't think it's good, but uh, you know it might be good in the future. And I think it's a card that like should be worth more. 
it's kind of funny. Aluren is the, the kind of card that people have been talking about, I think, for three or four years. And there, there have been buyouts for like six hours and then it returned to the market. It didn't really spike at all. But it's a receptless card and it's legacy playable, even though like not in a top tier deck. But it shows up every now and then, can certainly easily five hour league, um, given the right circumstances. So yeah, <laughs> maybe we should all be sitting on a couple of Allurens now. I think, I think that deck was, was actually pretty good when Deathrite Shaman is around, and then the dedicated Allurn players have have struggled to find a build that's even playable until recently, and I think that, yeah, the, the most recent builds look playable at the very least. You know which reserveless card I have been looking into for almost 10 years now, wondering whether it will ever spike? It's a card that nobody ever plays that I thought might take off in, in lands, because it's not a legendary land, so you can mu- play multiple. And that's Halls of Mist. I wouldn't expect you guys to know what it does. What does it do? It basically says that creatures can only ever attack every other turn. So creatures <laughs> that attack during the controller's last turn can't attack. Does it have for mana? No, it doesn't have for mana. It has cumulative upkeep one. So you, you would eventually have to like kill it and, and replay it. It's not super bad. It's like a bad maze of it. <laughs> no, it sounds like a horrible glacial chasm. Like Yeah. It sounds pretty bad. <laughs> also, lands decks yeah. aren't even playing Glacial Chasm anymore. Like, they stopped playing that card. That's true, that's true. <laughs> and they often don't even play the full playset of, of Maze of Earth. Uh Yeah, but it's just like, it's a reserveless card that's not entirely unplayable. I guess it's pretty bad. But it's only like $1.60 or something uh, right now. But <laughs> it's just my pet card that I feel one day it, it shall arise and Wizards make an awful mistake with it. But yeah, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen. Something that happens is GP Atlanta this weekend. You guys both attended. Bob, let's start with you. How, how did your weekend go? You had <laughs> some unpleasant experiences. <laughs> I, I guess that's a longer story. Most, most listeners will probably be familiar with it, but let's go ahead with that. Sure. Uh, yeah, let's get the elephant in the room out of the way. So I was disqualified from the main event of Atlanta. Um, overall, in terms of like magic that weekend, I actually did pretty well. I played Slow Depths with Sideboard Tarmogoyf. And I went like 11-3 in the matches that I finished. Also, just a minor note, GP Atlanta was two weekends ago. So a little bit of time has passed. And I've had some time to kind of reflect and think about it. And I have posted about it on Twitter. But essentially what happened was I was 5-0 and and up a game in the mirror. And if you haven't played the Depths Mirror before, it's actually pretty interesting. Like if you ever play like the wrong land at any point, you just instantly lose. So it's pretty skill intensive. I felt like I had a good chance of winning that match and like making it to 6-0. And it's funny because the guy who I got uh, paired against, who I was DQ'd, he actually went on to play Cyrus the next round. So I probably would have lost to Cyrus given how hot he was running. And also the matchup is, is good for him, I think. But yeah, so I was, I was running really well. And I even like called the shot on Twitter that I was going to go 9-0. So I like started tweeting about it. And I just, I just felt really good about my list because I basically tuned the deck to be good against crop rotation Caracas post-sideboard. I was bringing in Tarmogoyfs against Delver. And like they would have all these awkward cards like Vapor Snag, and then I would just like kill them with Tarmogoyfs, basically. So I felt really good about the deck. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we had a deck check, and they asked if I wanted to like accompany them for the deck check, because that's what they do at GPs now. I know one of my friends, Michael Clifford, had a, had a different story where they didn't ask him to accompany him, but from what I talked to from all of my friends, uh, whenever there's a deck check now, you are allowed to join the judge as they conduct the deck check. Yeah, I experienced that several times, actually, several years ago in Europe, where when people started having really expensive legacy and vintage decks, they would ask the judge whether they could come with them, and the judge has never turned them down. So I guess that's a thing, but people are just more aware of it now. 
No, so that's different. This time, it was literally the judge asking both of us if we wanted to join them. Like, it wasn't like we asked. It was like the judge proactively asked. So I think that's the new policy. Perhaps it's only for legacy. I'm not sure. But they did ask. Both of us declined because we, you know, we thought it would be a routine deck check. Uh, Like, I basically thought it was going to go as normal. So we wait. It's a pretty long deck check. And eventually, I get called over to the judge's table. And then the head judge starts asking me questions. Basically, like, he was asking me, do I sort my deck while I sleeve it? And I said, no, uh, because I don't. I just just pick up the cards and start sleeving. I I never sort it beforehand. And it turns out that's actually, like, the correct way to sleeve your deck. Because if you sort your deck before sleeving, it like greatly increases the chances of you marking your cards. And so what happened with my deck was the sleeves were marked in like an extremely subtle way and in, in such a subtle fashion that like I after they showed me they were marked, I still couldn't I agree that they were marked, but I would not be able to show you how they were marked because it was two sets of um Dragon Shield matte blacks and they're uh, 100% identical from the top. The judges agreed with that. However, from the side, they had a different glare when you stared at it in the sun. So there were, there was like, basically one of them reflected light more than the other one. So if you looked at it from the side, it, w- it would look like, you know, some cards were more reflective. And hypothetically, how you, you could cheat with this is like, say you, you know, you split it into lands and spells, uh, which is how the deck was split. If you knew the top card of your deck was a land, then you could like fetch to get rid of it if you didn't want to land or, you know, vice versa. But actually, one of my friends pointed out afterwards to me that in a deck like Slow Depths, your lands basically are spells. So it almost made no sense for me to mark my d- cards this way, because half the time I, I really want to draw like a Dark Depths or a Thespian stage. So basically, you're saying the, the potential from abuse was rather minimal compared to other decks. Yeah, I mean, in a blue deck, it would be more abusable, let's just say. And obviously, I, I didn't cheat, so... But, you know, if I had cheated, it would have probably made sense to, like, mark Crop Rotation, Dark Depths, Hex Mage, like, stuff like that instead. But anyways, basically the judge uh, was asking me questions and was like, how do you think these cards were marked? And I was like, I have no idea. Oh, the other thing, too, is, like, well, so so there was a pattern. Um, however, I'm not convinced that I could even, like, so the, the judge was able to pick up my deck and then pick out which ones were lands when the deck was in his hand. And if, if the cards were in the middle of the deck, he could take them out. Um, so they were clearly marked. However, I don't know if the judge would have been able to tell if the top card was a land or a spell. Because like I said, it was you could only tell from the side. And I don't even know if you could tell if the top card was marked or not. Because they, they were just so similar and it was the glare that was different. But anyways, the judge was asking me, like, how do you think these cards came to be marked? And I was like, I honestly have zero idea. Um, I was like, they were like, well, you don't think you sorted it? I was like, yeah, I don't think I sorted it. Um, and so then they're like, well, there's no reasonable explanation. The only possible explanation is you cheated or you got, like, super unlucky. But based on the evidence, we're going to say that you cheated and you're getting disqualified. And I was like, okay. And I was like, while this was happening, I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. I'm, like, so unbelievably unlucky that I, like, sleeved my deck and then they just happened to be marked. I, it was just like, I was literally thinking in my head, like, you know, who touched my deck? And like, I just like, I was just like searching for an explanation in my head, like how this possibly could have happened. And I probably should have thought about it harder because, um, so this was on Saturday of the GP. And it turns out that my friends had sleeved my deck for me on Tuesday. And I just like had forgotten. I had played with these marked cards um, during the Friday PTQ, but I wasn't deck checked. And so like, you know, nobody, nobody knew for the better. 
So basically, I was playing with these mark cards all week, really, while I was like testing for it too. And essentially, what had happened is my friends had sleeved my deck for me. Basically, we we just uh, my friends who were, were staying with me, Rugved and Rosemary, had stayed with me since before the weekend prior for SCG Syracuse. So they'd been at my house all week, and we'd been testing resleeving decks. So I had like 300 sleeves just opened open on my table next to my couch. And so Rosemary was sleeving from my couch, whereas my other friend was sitting at my computer desk, and then he picked up a different pack of sleeves and was sleeving from there. And he remembers sorting the cards so that it was like, you know, lands and spells. And so one of them basically picked up lands and one of them picked up spells, and then they sleeved the deck. And it's it's pretty close to even, too, because I play like 28 lands. So... Essentially, that's how it happened, but uh, because the, de- the judge DQ'd me, then my friend came over and was like, Bob, I sleeved your deck. And I was like, oh my god, like, I just smacked myself in the head. I was like, how did I forget that? Because, I, I, like, honestly, I've never had someone, I mean, I think I, I've had friends help sleeve your deck, you know, when you start before the tournament, you're like, oh, help me sleeve. But, like, we did this so far in advance, and it was because, like, I was testing on Moto Tuesday night, and you know how you're like when you're playing a video game or playing Magic Online, you're just completely zoned in and you don't remember anything, like or or you don't focus on the things around you. Um, so they auto, were like, yeah, exactly. So I was like, you know, busy thinking about my match, and they were sleeping the deck for me because we were going to test the deck uh, in paper. So honestly, it was a really frustrating situation. I learned a couple lessons. Uh, the main one is like obviously, I mean, there's a, there's a couple really important lessons. Uh, one is you know think about when you sleeve your deck and make sure you sleeve from the same pack of sleeves so that like the cards aren't marked. The other thing to do is to shuffle your deck and shuffle the sleeves so that if there is a marking, it's going to be completely random. And then if there is a random marking, it'll either be no penalty or it'll be a game loss. Um, It will not be a disqualification. And then the other thing too was just like the judge was actually, the head judge was like trying to like almost help me out. He was like, well, how do you think these cards were marked? And I had no idea. So I said, I had no idea. Um, if I was able to, you know, remember that I didn't sleeve my deck, then I think there's a, a good chance I would not have been disqualified. Uh, so I don't know. Some lessons learned. Um, I think it's funny because I think Honora gets the last laugh because he resleeves between like every three rounds. He like spends what? an absurd mon- amount of money on sleeves. How does he have time? Oh. Literally for the GP, he resleeved three times in one day. I'm just like, honor you're crazy. What? And I always make fun of him for it, but then it turns out his way was way better than mine because he, he's never going to get DQ'd for for his sleeves. Yeah, but that's that's like, how do you call it? Like a compulsive disorder almost? <laughs> like, he just says that like... Like four packs of sleeves in a, in a day two event? He just says that like... Every time he resleeves, the shuffle feels much cleaner, which, like, I guess I can't I mean, argue true. with that, but uh, it's kind of like a little habit he has that I make fun of him for, but I think he got the last laugh in the end because I got DQ'd and he went uh, 11-4, <laughs> so. I mean, I remember Anurag told a story um, right in the aftermath of, of your DQ. Uh, I think it was on a stream where he talked about when, like, you two guys you lo- used to live together and you had sleeves all over your apartment and you would just like randomly go around and pick up sleeves from, from Anorak's desk or anywhere and, and sleeves things. So I imagine there's this place where it's literally sleeves coming out of the, the fridge or coming out of the cup. <laughs> no, honestly, I'm just like, I'm like the classic cheap Asian. I like try not to spend money on things. And so like there have been two day events that I've just used really ratty sleeves and like I just use old sleeves all the time and it's not something I pay attention to. Uh, and I finally got punished for it, so I've learned my lesson. Basically, I'm just going to use like the same pack of sleeves that are fresh, uh, so that this doesn't happen again. So, Eric, 
Which kind of sleeves do you play? I used KMC for a very long time, and I noticed basically what happened to Bob. I noticed what happened because uh, me and a friend would share cards, and we would just double sleeve everything in the exact same brand and color of sleeve. So uh, that way, if a sleeve got damaged or you wanted to move cards from deck to deck, then you know you could just have everything in the same sleeves and that would work and then i'd, I'd start to notice that from an, from the side like some of the sleeves would be a different color or different it would be more shiny basically so and then i would like be able to pull those cards out and sometimes they would be like a place out of brainstorms or something and i'd be like okay so i can't i have to at least check my decks every time to see if there's like a shiny playset of brainstorms even though the sleeves are supposed to be the same they're not um but then i recently not recently the last time i was at a card market whatever that thing's called in Europe. I won some, I think they call them katanas now. They were not called katanas back then, but I think they're the same as katanas, and I have some decks sleeved in those, and those seem to last forever, so I really like those sleeves. Oh, you do? Well, katanas, I don't know. I don't, never really got behind them, but so yeah, for me, that, that's the only thing that I was like taught from the very beginning, and that's really just something I picked up from from other more experienced players. Once I get got to big tournaments, that you literally buy a pack of sleeves on on the day you play and resleeve your deck either like right before the tournament or the night before the tournament. I I'm usually quite the slacker. Like I write my deck list right before the tournament, but when it comes to sleeves, that's the only thing I guess I get right. But yeah, I can totally like see the appeal of basically having like all KMC matte black, so you can ever whenever you need someone, you just like grab them from anywhere. But yeah, yeah. that's. I guess that's something to remember for the future. Yeah, no, I've, and I even noticed some, I guess if, if you're not, if you don't sort your cards when you sleeve, then it doesn't matter as long as you're not pulling out like play sets from one pack. And then, you know what I mean? Like as long as things aren't sorted, then those shiny edges shouldn't matter that much, but it is kind of, uh, we also, cause the sleeve packs come in, they don't come in packs of, 75 a lot of them like the the kmc's came in 100 packs so there'd always be like a few left over and i you know you leave them in your pack or what in your bag um for if something gets damaged and you can resleeve and then like then there'd be like 20 left or 10 left and then you start to sleeve another and it's like you don't want to throw away, throw away a bunch of sleeves so yeah i don't know i've i've noticed it as well actually this i when i heard that i and i saw the picture i knew exactly what was what had happened yeah, something that I often notice, like a lot of people posted their sleeves in response to Bob's tweet to to show like how their deck sometimes looks when they use different pack of sleeve packs of sleeves of the same manufacturer. Um, something that I often notice is that the side part often sticks out. Like if you play your sleeves over say like three, four, five tournaments and it's it's heavy use, you shuffle a lot. I often feel if you look at the main deck and you look at the side part, it really sticks out and. That's something that's also problematic. That's a major reason why I really like resleeving before big tournaments. Like you would probably like get really poor if you did it before every. I guess if you have legacy F and M or or like all those minor tournaments, mm-hmm. and then there's Anorak, I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so no, I actually, I believe that. Julian, you bring up a really good point. Uh, and actually, during the top eight of an open, when I was playing Grishel Brand, I was playing against Jeff Hoogland, and he actually got a game loss for his sideboard being less worn, essentially, than his main deck. So that's, like, something to be aware of as well. I think, like you were saying earlier, if you, if you have some, you know, glare-marked cards, you can still get a game loss if it's random. So I would say still be very careful. Obviously, you don't want a game loss, even if it's not as bad as a DQ. And then the other thing I would say is that if you're going to play the same sleeves for a two-day event I, and you don't want to have that problem, I would suggest after, like 
maybe every four or five rounds, resleeving your sideboard into your main deck sleeves and vice versa. So that way, like, uh, they're all the same amount of worn. Yeah, I guess you could do that. I never thought about that. That actually sounds pretty good. Or you could pull a Valentin Muckle and just play without any sleeves at all until the judges in round nine come to you and they're like, dude, what are you doing? And his explanation was, I am crazy. And they accepted that. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, this is not limited? This is like... Well, it was limited. Actually, was it standard? No, I think it was limited. And he didn't want to play with sleeves, uh, even though he was like sponsored by the MTG Madness back then. He could have easily gotten sleeves. He literally just wanted to play without sleeves on the first day. And then they made him play with sleeves for the second day. I don't think they actually have a rule that forces you to play with sleeves, but it, they should definitely add one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a basic thing, especially in Legacy. Like in most constructed formats, nobody would ever play without sleeves, right? <laughs> just imagine playing a Legacy deck without sleeves. Even, like, disregarding <laughs> the money, but just, like, every card will be marked, right? Like <laughs> Those cards are older than most of the players these days, especially the dual lands. But yeah, so Bob, you what, what did you get to play on Sunday as well? Uh, I think you you mentioned that you want to crush wanted to crush the MCQ they had there. Yeah, well they're they're back to PTQs again. But uh, I went so I did go five one on the first Friday PTQ to win two buys, and then I went uh, basically five uh, zero, but with two buys I went three zero, and then the, on the last day I went three and two. Uh, so the deck was overall eleven three on the weekend, which is I think very good. And now I'm excited to kind of test the next iteration, which will be... Uh, we're going to talk about Throne of Eldraine spoils later, but I'm excited to try uh, some Throne cards for Dark Depths. Do you have, like, um, an experimental deck list that I can post in the show notes so people can check that out? Yeah, sure. I can send you what I streamed with the other day. Awesome. I'm going to put it in the show notes. So if you want to check that out, um, head to itstudent.com, and then it's going to be in the show notes for this post. So, Eric... How how was worshipping Grizzlebrand this weekend? I, I'm pr- pretty sure I remember you playing Black Rock Reanimator, right? Yeah, that's correct. I did. Uh, it was good. The deck is really good. <laughs> that's <laughs> why I keep playing it. At a GP, I kind of like having a lot of downtime between rounds, so I, uh, that also is pretty good. But like in an MCQ or whatever, or FNM, I don't know. I, I often like playing blue decks where I'm not like sitting around doing nothing in between rounds but uh anyway regardless of that I chose to play reanimator because I thought it was the best bet I actually was considering playing rug delver but decided that I thought my delver matchup was as good if not better with reanimator and my matchups with reanimator against everything else were as good if not better so uh (laughs) I decided to play reanimator um and I ended up yeah I got I got buys in in the ptq but I didn't I didn't top eight the PTQ. I got X and one uh, with my last round being a concession because my opponent had buy, so that was nice. Um, and then in the main event, it was my first time playing in a large event with two buys and a GP with two buys, so that was pretty sweet. Um, starting out at two and zero for the first time, like I've done pretty well in GPs, but never starting out two and zero. So it, by round five, when I was five and zero after only playing three rounds, it felt like kind of like cheating. <laughs> um, I ended up. Day one, I ended up X and two with my second loss being in the final round to Hans Jacob Gotik. Uh, G- Gotik, yeah. I think is. Yeah, uh, it was a really it was a heartbreaker because I was uh, I think after turn two I was like ninety eight percent to win that game, and then uh, managed to. It just it was one of those games that you're almost certain to win. What was he then, playing? Uh, like Hans has, has they, made a name for himself playing Delva all over Europe. I think he actually won the North American Eternal Weekend as well. He was playing Miracles. What? Okay. Yeah, so the game three was I mult to five, 
and I had a turn one with Chancer backup, so I got Gristlebrand on turn one through his surgical, and he was kind of like shocked and a little bit like, "What the hell? Like, yeah. <laughs> was that really your hand?" And uh, I actually mulled both my seven and my six were turn ones as well, but they were unprotected. And I know against miracles, I need a protected um, hand either on turn one or turn two to, to win. And I got, I got, so I got the Gristlebrand, um, and he he swords it, and then I got a Chancellor, and then I got. And then he was hell bent, and I and I got him down to five life, and he ripped the top. Oops, he ripped the top card of his deck was the swords to plowshare, so he was able to kill it. And I have three lootings in my graveyard and five lands, so I'm like, whatever. I'm still like ninety whatever percent to win, and I just all three of my lootings bricked, and he found a rest in peace in the Jason. Yeah, one. that's pretty wild. You you literally got the turn one Grizzlebrand, but you couldn't get there against Miracles. So what's the next step usually? Because I recently played the deck as well on Magic Online just for fun again. And I also noticed that against most decks, like Grizzlebrand is the first step, and then usually you are either trying to get Elishnorn or I mean, against most decks, Grizzlebrand does it because the, of the extra discard and stuff. But against Miracles, against Miracles, you're you're looking for uh, Iona or Grizzlebrand to go with oh, Iona on white, and uh, Archetype of Endurance is just game over against Miracles. So that's what you're looking for. But I had a, I mean, I had a Chancellor, and he didn't really have much going on. Um, so yeah, I mean, reanimating Gristlebrand and drawing seven is not game over against Miracles because you, they can just swords your Gristlebrand. So you're seven, you're only drawing seven. So there's a chance that you're like not going to be able to do much, especially if you use your whole hand like I did, which means I don't get to discard a, a, a creature into my graveyard on turn. Oh, so, so, turn, so you didn't uh, go ahead on the first turn and draw 14 because that's what I would have like blindly done just to get some more unmasks and maybe tear the hand apart i mean that would be wonderful but like i said i, I was using reanimate oh, so you, you said, yeah, sorry, yeah, you, when you, you mentioned that yeah, yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and no if you draw 14 you can't you can't yeah. really lose but when you draw seven you can so you entered the second day at x and two and how, how was your performance on the second day second day my second my first loss of the day was to death and taxes which is pretty unfortunate because it's a good matchup um and I can't remember off the top of my head what my fourth loss was, but I ended up uh, X and four for th- I got thirty sixth place. Um, so yeah, with one one bad one good matchup, I lost, and the pretty bad luck against Han Hans Jacob with that one game. Uh, it was a good great match though against him. We had three pretty. What was your first loss? Games, pretty fun guy. So that was kind of. My first loss was to Michael Braverman on Rug Delver. So I, I actually beat Delver five times over the weekend and lost to it once which i'm pretty happy with because like i said my my main consideration was would i rather play a delver mirror or reanimator against delver and i decided reanimator against delver was probably better yeah also you've got you've got an image to maintain right you're the black red reanimator guy i mean there kind of but i really i really care about winning more than about the deck yeah. itself i just play it because yeah does it mean that you're not gonna play black red Black Red Reanimator in the Legacy Premier League. Uh, well, I'm having the same discussion in my head right now. Like, that's why I played Hogak today because I looked at my my pool and I'm thinking, should I metagame or should I play the deck that I have the the best win rate with? Even though they're all gonna put me on Reanimator, but it's not gonna matter because it's open deck list. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm considering. I'm not gonna play Hogak though. I don't think that deck is. I think you uh, should definitely metagame, especially in a smaller tournament. Which, yeah, by the way, let's talk a little bit about the Legacy Premier League this year. Julian, you've did like an amazing job with the uh, kind of the uh, the trailer and like getting all the different players to come. Like, I'm so excited for this year. Like, the production value already looks insane. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, like a major reason I was able to do this is because we got some like serious sponsorship from Wizards of the Coast, Card Hodder and Scott Monroe. 
And we're also doing this together with uh, Liquipedia, which is, if you don't know, the uh, Team Liquid of esports fame has this basically esports wiki, and we're being covered on there. And we got so, like, Anorak and I are producing this, and we got so much support from uh, these people that I was able to put together all these graphics and animations. Like, if you haven't seen the trailer yet, definitely check it out. I would go as far as to say it's one of the coolest things I've ever produced, and... Yeah, <laughs> and week one much, starts uh, starts on Wednesday, so just two days from now. Yeah, on my on my extra birthday, like we finished last season on October second, two thousand eighteen, and exactly one year later, we're gonna kick it off again with Andrea Mangucci, Cyrus Gill, Emma Handy, and Charles Yu. So that's definitely gonna be a stacked group. Whom do you see advancing from there? It's actually probably really hard to pick. Ooh, okay, hold on. So Gucci, Jarvis, Emma, and who's the last one? Uh, Cyrus. Cyrus. I think I have to go with Jarvis. He just he has the widest range, and I trust him to pick kind of a good deck. I think I think in these small um, groups, you you definitely do want a metagame. But the the downside to metagaming is like, say you pick a deck that you're like not super familiar with, and then your opponents pick decks that like, you know, you didn't expect. Then you could be left with with nothing. But um, <laughs> it, it'll be interesting because I know last year we tried to keep what group you were in secret, so it was harder to metagame. So this year will be interesting. We'll see if it like becomes more metagamey or not. Yeah, I remember when Bob actually. <laughs> I'm I'm still talking about this today when Bob submitted Burn, but then the sensitive any top ban happened and we allowed people to resubmit. That was two years ago. I still wanted to see you play Burn. I mean, the I had I had, I had four ex- exquisite Firecraft main just to be Honorog, and it seems like I was onto something because the Burn player who topped the GP also had four Firecraft main. Yeah, he he took out Travis in the quarterfinals, and I th- from what Travis told me, it wasn't even close. Apparently. But yeah, you you pick Charvis to at once, but you still gotta pick a second one. I mean, it's super hard, right? It's basically rolling the die, whether it's Andrea, Cyrus, or Emma. Um, gotta gotta go with my friend uh, Cyrus. He just won a GP, so you know. Yeah, how how can you not pick the the? Well, I was gonna say hottest uh, Magic player right now, and what I mean by that is like hottest running Magic player. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> or, or or both, really. Yeah, probably right. Who knows. <laughs> <laughs> But Andrea is also really, really good. Like, I haven't really... Usually people see Andrea when he's playing for his legacy videos in Shannon Fireball. And most of that is for entertainment value, and it's great, and it's fun. But when Andrea plays serious legacy, and, like, the only real time I saw him in, uh, was in Eternal Weekend in Europe in, I think, 2017, I saw him playing Death in Texas, and he, he was so on spot. He was... He was actually menacing. He played against an Elves player, and the Elves player almost felt like scared of Andrea because Andrea like literally made no mistake playing Death and Texas. So when Andrea really wants to do well, he does well. I mean, I think last season he submitted Goblins for the group stage, so I don't know about that. But I only know what one of the players is playing, so I'm yeah. not gonna disclose. Well, that. I think also more is at stake this year. Like like you said, we got sponsorship from Wizards of the Coast, so I think maybe with more prizes at stake, people will uh, you know try harder to win. So. Um, I'm I'm just excited to see kind of what happens. Yeah, how do you feel about your group? You're up against Autumn Pachet, Phil Gallagher, and Javier Dominguez. I mean, I think every group is just insanely stacked, so I don't think my group is like easier or harder than any other group. So I'm excited to just the battle. Yeah, there were there were people on Reddit talking about the the quote unquote group of death, but it's really like I look at any of those groups and I don't want to be in any of them, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, Eric, which one? Are you? Oh, actually, we are sharing a group, right? We are both in Group C, playing on October sixteenth against Brian Gottlieb of the Arena Decklist podcasts and Edgar Ma- Magalesh. Am, am Magalesh, I pronouncing yeah. his name? Magalesh. Okay, cool. Wait, so are you guys going to metagame against each other? You're going to play like Elish Norn main, and then you're going to play like Leyline main to counter that. I don't know. 
yeah, I'm going to play Red Palm or something, or, or I don't know, or Iggy Pop. <laughs> and then Eric is going to go turn one uh, Curse Catcher. <laughs> I can definitely see it. But yeah, it's going to be fun. I mean, Merfolk is on is on my radar. <laughs> Merfolk is my third most played deck in the history of in my history of Legacy. Wow, that's so. wild. So you go yeah. you go like Maverick Elves Merfolk. No, no, Elves is by far like I played something like seven hundred sanctioned matches right, with right. Elves, and and then there's like hundred something miracles, and I think Merfolk and, and Maverick are pretty close actually. Got it. Actually, Merfolk. Or Maverick could be in third. But yeah, that's the Legacy Premier League. Definitely check it out. It's going to be streamed on Twitch TV slash It's Julian at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Anorak is going to do streaming for us. That's going to be really, really great. And I'm really looking forward to this. And starting with the uh, playoff stage, and uh, basically October 30th, we are going to have, you guys called it like a madness, right? Like you have March Madness. We're going to have the Legacy Madness where you can predict the bracket. And if you get a good prediction for the bracket, you can actually win insane prizes. So what did the first place prize for the bracket win last year? Uh, last year, the, the winner got something like, oh, let me lie. See, <laughs> I'm actually not sure. I, I would have to check, but it was a couple, was it like 100 or 200 tickets? Like we, we had a, a master prize for the person who got everything perfectly. Uh, but, but that's never going to happen, bracket. though. Like the chance of getting a perfect bracket <laughs> is like 0.01%. There's something ludicrously small. Yeah, we, we had like a drop of honey and we had a foil McKitty Masks brainstorm and I think a thousand tickets and card order credit, but nobody managed to crack that. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the odds are really, really small. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they're still going to be great prices. And I know the person who actually got the perfect bracket last year, they actually used that money to buy Black Red Reanimator online. And I think they also subscribed to Eric's Patreon now. And they're like, they, they <laughs> haven't played Magic Online, but now they're really into Magic Online because of that one. And that's pretty cool. That is cool. And on top of that, we also we also have a special prize for the person who submits the worst bracket. Like the person who literally gets none of the matches correct. <laughs> I imagine that's easier to do. Yeah, you would think, but you there's still like something like eight coin flips that you have to hit perfectly. It's last year we didn't get anyone who didn't get any match correctly. Okay. I might I might submit my bracket to try and get that prize. Well, yeah, you can submit your bracket, but you're not eligible for the bracket because you're a contestant uh, okay that's fair <laughs> that's probably a good reason <laughs> oh wow you know i was listening to this to this podcast about sports criminals and i talked about this guy pete rose that i never heard of but apparently he's like really good in baseball and he's not in the baseball hall of fame because he he like did bats on his own games and stuff that's what i could remember Do you, is that like a name that americans know pete rose yes oh yeah okay i'm sorry <laughs> I, I wasn't sure but yeah apparently that's like a really big thing so bob could be the next pete rose <laughs> <laughs> i mean I've gotten started early with my uh, Pithing Needle Grizzle Brand and now getting DQ'd, so. Or Borberic uh, Mesh. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a different kind of story, right? But they actually, they literally changed the rules because of that incident, from what I remember. Did they? They changed the rules, they changed the rules so you, for the Borberic Mesh incident. So what did, the, what did they change the rules to? So previously, you had to uniquely identify a card, which my opponent did by naming Borberic Now the rule is... I'm not sure what the rule is, but essentially it's like it's it has to be 100% clear in both players' mind like what card is named, and if it's at all unclear, like you're supposed to clarify it. So that's basically the rule now. So you can't you can't mess up with Pithing Needle. So wait, but you how would you know that in in the case of Borgarimos, how would you know that your opponent and you have a different well, be, idea? Of because there's only one that they've seen in my deck. We have both had access to, access to lists, so 
Um, yeah, it's funny. So that was my, my opponent, Brad Carpenter, but I've like since teamed with him and we're on like pretty good terms now, but the internet thinks we hate each other or something, but yeah, it, it is what it is. If you guys hate each other on, on camera, you can actually like make something out of that. Isn't that what I'm Oh, he, his Twitter handle, his Twitter handle is Brad Bergmos. So he's literally made it his brand. So I helped him out basically. <laughs> That's nice of you. But yeah, the the way I know it right now is basically like if there's really no reasonable doubt about which card was mentioned, uh, then it's quite clear. I think something similar would probably happen with somebody named Urborg, and they actually mean Urborg Tomb of Chuckmouth, unless it's maybe like, a, I don't know, old school event where Urborg is actually a card. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that. Let's talk a little bit more about the current state of Legacy right now. We're going to touch on the cards that have made a splash uh, from Thorn of Eldraine. But before that, there's a pretty thorough analysis that Channel Fireball has put out of the metagame of GP Atlanta. And the, the thing that's like stuck out to me the most was that no bad cards, Rock Diver, NBC Rock Diver, that it actually went from being the most played deck on day one at 12% to actually 17% on day two. So it looks like it, the deck has a, had a really good performance. I mean, nobody really was surprised by that, but it's still nice to, to see that backed up that almost every fifth deck in day two was NBC Rock Java. How do you guys feel about that? Is, is that something that you think is that's here to stay? Uh, or I mean, the deck does have some decks it's not really great against. I know, I know that Charles mentioned that, for example, the Hogak Depth, uh, not Hogak Depth, but the Hogak deck is a deck that's decent against them. Storm is probably also, like, especially in the first game, it's, it's rough for them, even though Travis mentioned that he feels confident in that matchup. Are there any upcoming changes for you guys? I mean, I think I think No Bad Cards Rugged Elver is clearly the quote-unquote best deck. However, I think it is significantly worse than Top Miracles or Deathrite Shaman Grixis Delver by a good amount. No Bad Cards Rugged Delver doesn't have too many significant holes, but it is, like, really, really bad against combo game one. And... It's pretty soft to the graveyard decks in general. However, I do know one of the legacy PTQ winners ended up winning the PTQ with Rugged Oliver with four Leyland of the Void in the sideboard. So that that card is also really good against Knight of the Reliquary, which can also be good against Rugged Oliver. So uh, I'm interested to see if kind of main uh, sideboard Leyland of the Void becomes more of a fixture in these blue decks, because uh, I know a Grixis control player also top aided that PTQ with four Leyland of the Voids. So I'm, I'm interested to see if that's going to be the next trend. Because uh, I think the graveyard decks are a really good way of attacking Rug Delver. I just think Rug Delver, like, I tried the deck myself, and I found you were kind of ahead against everything, and you could, like, play very well. The power level of your cards was very high. But at the same time, like, you just become more and more inbred trying to beat the mirror, for instance. You just, you know, Jarvis said he wanted to play, like, three submergers in the sideboard. Okay, but then you get faced against something like Blue Red Delver, who, or Death Shadow, who has Submerge against you, and then you, you have like this dead card in your sideboard. You don't have any removal spells. So I think like it come, it gets to a certain point where like the metagame gets too inbred to be geared against Rugged Elver, so I, I don't really see it putting sustained dominant performances in the future. Uh, we'll see if I'm proven wrong, but I think the deck is a very good deck, but I don't see it being an absolutely dominant deck in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I agree for the most part. The deck is obviously very good, and I played it quite a bit, and it it has some pretty nutty draws and, and can do a lot, but the mirror is pretty miserable, and the it, it is weak to a lot of fringier decks. Like, the Hogak deck is, uh, I would still call it a fringe deck. I mean, the person who top-aided the SCG also top-aided the, the uh, Already? GP. That's the same. Oh, okay, let's um, actually give them a shout-out then. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tarek Patel. I talked with him about the deck. So he put in the work and basically made a great deck, and he gave it to his friend Cat Light, who also top aided a PTQ with it. So I think the deck definitely is is worth exploring. I was thinking about trying like maybe one or two Lotus Petals in it just to give it a little bit of extra speed. But from what I can tell, the deck is definitely here to stay, and we'll see how it kind of adapts to hate. That's uh, basically the the Hogak deck that yeah. also plays four Hedron Crab to to mill itself. That's basically the main innovation. Innovation. Uh, so people listening are probably wondering, well, then what is Rug good against? Uh, that's one of the questions that will come up because we're saying it's bad against. I'm saying it's bad against fringe decks. You're saying it's bad against graveyard decks. And when I say fringe decks, I'm talking about Hogak, Merfolk, humans, those kind of death and taxes as. Uh, almost a fringe deck at this point i guess i guess not it, it was quite played quite a bit at the gp but it, i think rug is not particularly good against those the thing that i think rug is good against is anything that wasteland and days is good against and, and the reason that it is a strong deck is because wasteland and days can be good against any of those decks yeah, that are like, bad matchups. i think like eldrazi post is is a good example of a card of, of a deck that is just going to be good against kind of yeah yeah it's just mid-rangey enough to be good against aggressive decks but also <laughs> aggressive enough to be good against very deep late game decks like the Eldrazi Eldrazi post decks and like most of the time when Ruck was good in legacy which i guess is the longest dominating streak in legacy i guess there's miracles up there too it made a name for itself by being the quote-unquote 55 percent deck against the field which had decent matchups against most of the of the decks, except for like a couple of outliers, and then people really appreciated getting to to actually play magic in most of those scenarios. So I feel like it's kind of similar today. Um, back in the day, people said like nine percent is the highest any dominant legacy deck will ever get. Now this one had twelve percent, which isn't too far off. I guess it's thirty three percent higher, but <laughs> you get the idea, right? Yeah. So anything else that we see in in those numbers, like Ruard Dava has a, had a decent showing. Um, not really too surprised by that. And then judging by the numbers that Channel Fireball provided, they call it Stoneforge, which is both any Blade deck as well as that in Texas, is only 10, 10%. They said it was pretty much split 50-50 between those, those two. So Death in Texas really only hit 5% in a GP, which is kind of disappointing considering that for most of the last years, it was one of the three most played decks, I want to say. But yeah, just like all those other mid-range decks like Avs and, and Merrick, it can't really fight or play with the big boys these days. That's that's just something that's the current status quo, I feel like. I'm also a little bit lost. We, we talked about this before the cast when I mentioned that I'm going to Beijing Olaf at the beginning of, of November and GPA Atlanta by the end of the month. I'm totally lost, lost what to play. <laughs> I, I even feel like I want to pick up Storm again. I, I have played my fair share of Storm in the past. Obviously, that's like almost 10 years ago, but... I'm feeling kind of drawn to it, maybe because there's just so many great resources. <laughs> and by that, I mean Cyrus and, and all his guides. Uh, maybe that's something I'm going to do in the future. But yeah, I, I'm lost. <laughs> I don't really know what to do in the format right now. But I, I'll figure it out from here, I guess. Because I don't really expect any bands anytime soon. Or, or how do you guys... Have you tried Humans? Yeah, no. I think hu- Humans is potentially the best tribe right now. I think that deck is quite good it could actually be like i've I've seen humans do some good things on magic online it's still bad against plague engineer in case you were wondering it's not that bad against plague engineer i mean not that bad is is definitely relative like yeah there are decks that are worse against plague engineer but it's still really bad against it um i i i I, like i I mean there's certain board states right like i i played on stream against humans and i went turn one uh reclaimer turn two tarmogoy of turn three plague engineer 
And well, they also didn't play around it. You saw their hand; they could have played around it, and then your plague engineer wouldn't have done anything. I was I was watching that. They they could have played the uh, the two drop, and then your plague engineer wouldn't have done anything. Instead, they just played out all three of their X ones. Yeah, I mean there there is play to it, sure. Uh, I don't remember if they actually had Thalia, Thalia's lieutenant or not. No, I, di- I didn't. I didn't see their hand. I, w- I said I was. I was praying that they didn't play Thalia's lieutenant. Well, how would you I have seen see their, their hand? Because I played a one drop, after, two drop, three drop. Because they tu- they tutored, they tutored Palace Jailer, uh, Palace Jailer, and then you thought seized them on the next turn, and they okay, had eight. but they might not have had it at that point. So I don't know. Well, it was the next turn, so they had to have drawn it for the turn. But anyway, yeah. You went probably is like too one dimensional for me, but I I'll figure something out from you. Oh god, I'm gonna get a lot of hate from you and um. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's one dimensional. I think it has like lots of different angles that oh, does I think it can maybe I should attack from. Right then. Yeah. But what I like about like elves and and Maverick is that you all the time you have all these small things that you can do on your turn and your opponent's turn, all these small adjustments that you can make. Oh, humans definitely has that, especially like it's a little bit more reliant on ether vial, but I would describe it as like. A, a Maverick deck, but that also ha- happens to play Meddling Mage main deck, so you're much, much better against combo. And Freebooter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got a lot of different angles it's going to attack from, and then you, you can go from the attacking your opponent's uh, ability to do things to aggro within like the span of two turns. Like It's pretty cool. I'm going to give like it a try. Maybe it's going to be my next big thing. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe you know. Maybe you actually <laughs> figured me out, and it's like I'm gonna submit for the Legacy Premier League. <laughs> I mean, I'm considering it, but I, I'm, I'm much more scared of as a rea- when I'm playing Reanimator, I definitely am more scared of humans than any other tribe. Merfolk, even with Force of Will, like humans is the, oh, really? the best one. Huh. Yeah. In speaking of other decks, Bob, you actually wanted me to add the Legacy Challenge to our show notes because there have been some interesting results, I guess, from what I see from scrolling through this right now. What sticks out to you? So I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me is two players played two Mystic Sanctuaries in their blue-white control decks. Uh, so there was Worst, who got 10th place. He played one Terminus. And then there was, I'm actually level 1 in 21st place. Uh, they did not play any Terminus, but they basically played like a Just Guy Mentor deck. Wow, their deck is really wild, because they not only have 4 Brainstorm, 4 Ponder, 3 Astrolabe, they also have 4 Accumulated Knowledge. So like, literally a quarter of their deck just draws cards, and they have Mystic Sanctuary to buy things back. Uh, so I think... That's like an interesting way to build the deck. I, I think I would just cut the astrolabes completely. Um, I do think accumulated knowledge miracles is, is back on the menu with Mystic Sanctuary because it makes counterbalance like a much better card. Um, I was playing Sneak and Show against it and Dark Depths against it, and there were just like so many spots where it was like if I didn't kill them by the time they had three islands online, it was going to be way way harder to win the game. Uh, and Part of the reason Miracles was, you know, falling out of favor was that Counterbalance was very hit or miss. And this just makes Counterbalance that much p- more potent. Yeah, the utility you get out of the card is really outstanding, right? When I saw the card, I almost wanted to throw up because, like, a fetchable Terminus? Come on, man. I think we're going to see a lot more of that card in the future. It's not You can't fetch a Terminus. You have to have already cast a Terminus. <laughs> but, but, like, against Delver, they force your Terminus, and then you just Terminus again. Like, that's backbreaking. Yeah, no, I think the card's all right. But you need three lands. I mean, it's... It's I mean, I think sternly. of it as a really slow card, but because it, it turns all of your, like, you know, eight or ten fetch lands into tutors, like, I think a two of is just correct in these blue-white shells, and I think maybe there will be more space to explore, too. It's just, it's so free, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, it's not quite free, but I think the power level uh, is there for the potential downside of 
having a tap land when you don't. Yeah, I think one. it would be a one-off in those decks, but now we see it as a two-off, uh, which I can't really see it being more than a two-off. And I also like the the way it works with, for example, accumulated knowledge. Basically, in the later the game goes, the crazier the card gets because well, when you get into these grindy matches, drawing um, a really high impact spell like could be accumulated knowledge, could be terminus. Uh, or even setting up your counter battles, that's just su- such a big thing. I guess you gotta hope that you don't actually draw into them. So you can still fetch them. I just realized you can also like get them back for days, but you don't really want a c- player comes to play tapped land for days, so that's not really something I expect to see in other decks. Well, it's untapped if you play as your fourth land, but I, I agree, it doesn't really work in days shells. Like Maybe there could be a days mentor shell out there, but um, I-, I would have to see it first. Uh, but yeah, since we already started on the topic, let's start talking Thrones of Eldraine. I think this is a really, really powerful set. Uh, for standard, it's just ridiculous. Every card is like a whole story, <laughs> which fits the flavor of the set really well, because it's like kind of Brothers Grimm fairy tales. So we've talked about some of the cards, but some of the cards weren't spoiled when we discussed it last episode. So let's go through, I think, what we think are the biggest hits. So I think Mystic Sanctuary is one of them. My other uh, pick for the best card from the set is... Once Upon a Time, which is one in a green for an instant. Look at the top five. You may put a creature or land, reveal it, in, and put it in your hand. And if it's the first spell you cast, it's free. And so I immediately like thought about Dark Depths, and I put four in, and I cut some lands and some of the fringe spells for it. And the reason that it's good is because in your opening hand, it pretty much gets a land. Like You play like 28 lands or 26 lands now. You're just not going to miss. And then in the late game, it, it really helps mitigate Flood because... Uh, a lot of games with Dark Depths, you would just draw too many lands and flood out, but this mitigates that by a lot. It also some, has some extra utility because you can like, you know, fetch your Sylvan Safekeeper, Dark Confidants, or Fairy Macabs. So I'm really excited about this card. Yeah, I remember Frank Carson actually wrote an article about the card on Channel Fireball, and I don't remember the exact words he used, but he basically said that this card is going to change deck building forever in any format that's going to be legal because it's going to have such a huge impact because it will barely ever miss. And like you mentioned, it can also provide that that late game power where instead of drawing to like pockets of lands, you, you get to once upon a time for a relevant spell or at least like a relevant land. And yeah, I, I can definitely see this card. It's just, just like my problem with it is I immediately, even though I feel the deck is not very well positioned right now, I think about it, hey, what could it do in elves? And I wouldn't have like room for that. But in depth, that's a deck that definitely sticks out to me where I would want it. But that's the obvious pick, right? Which other legacy decks right now could you see this going into? Oops, all spells. <laughs> oh, wait, they don't, we don't play lands. <laughs> I guess you can find, um, what's it called, Undercity Informa or something like that. To, and, and, uh, well, it finds you your mana or your win condition, yeah. So, and you're not. It's actually you know, not that bad if you think about cannon. it. You can find like a Spirit Guide or your win condition. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think it actually makes the deck better. <laughs> <laughs> when you get two in your opening hand, that that's kind of problematic because then you actually have to cast one of them. It doesn't fix the problem of the deck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I think this card is almost like I'm surprised they printed it because historically it's uh, free spells have been too much. And in moderns, spells for one mana with this effect have been kind of considered ridiculous so now they have a potentially free one uh that it just seems it seems ultra powerful and um i don't think anybody i think yeah this is the point where where we're looking at the decks that it's really obvious uh such as depths like obviously does good things in depths um but i think uh, it has the potential to be a broken card if somebody figures out some sort of combo that would want this effect 
yeah, like people are doing it in modern right now with the, the Neoform deck, I guess. We already mentioned that last cast that could play this card, I guess. Even though I'm not still fully convinced that the Neoform deck is, is an actual real contender in modern. Like people bring it up all the time. I actually played it a little bit, but I don't really see it making. Uh, putting up results. Hey Julian, I'm trying it, and I, I just like I love those Grizzlebrand decks in Modern. They just I don't know why they just scratch like a weird itch for me. So if it's broken, I'll let you know. Oh okay, awesome, awesome. I'm also looking for a new Modern deck to play, so maybe that. Like to me, when it comes to Modern, I want to play the most broken, busted shit that there is. So I, I'm on Team Grizzlebrand for Modern for sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, Neobrand's probably the most quote unquote broken deck in Modern, but the best deck is probably like some Urza deck, possibly with like Paradoxical Outcome. So there's there's a lot of crazy things happening in modern right now, but but we're a legacy podcast, so let's stay on topic. Why don't we kind of go through and like each talk about a couple different cards that we think might be, um, you know, good in <laughs> from Thrones of Eldraine. Um, I want to touch on one more card that saw play in the Legacy Challenge, a basically a Grixis Delver player, um, Fish Duggery got twenty second with one Drown in the Lock in the main deck, and it is a blue and a black instant. You counter target spell with CMC less than the number of cards in their graveyard or destroy target creature with CMC less than or equal to the number of cards in their graveyard. So this is a super versatile card. I don't love it in Delver. I like it much more in like a Snapcaster shell because I guess once you get Snapcaster and two mana, like it's just this card is just so versatile. Yeah, that certainly looks playable, right? Uh, it's got to go into some kind of, I guess, buck or, or even Esper control shell, but... It's kind of nice that that you don't really have the problem that you have counter spells otherwise where you either connect with them or if you miss your window of opportunity and you're behind on board, then you can either like leave those counter spells up again, but now you can actually kill their stuff. So usually when you print versatile spells in Legacy, the problem is that versatility comes at a cost, which is decreased power level. But I think here the power level is still high enough to actually see play. I'm just wondering which card, which decks this card would actually go into. Basically like the blue-black snapcaster decks and this person played it in delver as well so i think it's not great but it's playable and maybe the upside of the versatility will mean that it is good but i'm still somewhat skeptical of that Uh, i mean as a one of in a control shell i mean it seems fine but the downside here there's a lot of downside i mean it does nothing sometimes it costs two mana for a counter spell which is barely playable in legacy and two mana uh, for a removal spell, similarly, a removal spell for like a Delver or whatever, right? You can't even like kill. No, yeah, like there, there's Tyrant Scorn. I think is much better than this if you're going to play a two mana. Yeah, flexible the main card. the main downside to this card is that sometimes it doesn't do what you want it to do. Whereas a card like Tyrant Scorn, yeah, it's also somewhat overcosted, but it always does what you're trying to do with that slot. Like it always kills a Tarmogoyf or a Merit Lodge, so it always fills the role. Whereas this card has more versatility, but then like. To your point, you know, you play against show and tell, you don't always get a counter show and tell, and then you're like, why am I playing this card? Yeah. Another card that people talked about that I feel also doesn't really make the cut as a counter spell is Mystical Dispute, which is an instant for two colorless and a blue counter target spell, unless it's controller pays three, so basically mana leak. And it costs two less to play if it targets a blue spell. So it's kind of like Pyroblast, but it can't really destroy permanence. And it also doesn't really hard counter, so I'm not really sure. Also, also it's like it's a blue, so it's unlike. So basically, it's a pyroblast that you don't need to splash red for, I guess. But I think it's the the, the problem is you can't really kill that chases, can't kill that divers, 
Yeah, I mean, it's mostly, mm. like, you play Pyro Blast also to kill Jace, so, yeah. I don't see it at all. Yeah. Eric, do, do you see any <laughs> cards that you think are either good or, or you like? Basically, the ones you mentioned, the, the Land, Mystic Sanctuary, and Once Upon a Time are the two that seem definitely playable and real to an extent. The the card Oko, probably not playable in in Legacy, but it definitely does a lot more than I originally thought it did, because I played against it in Limited, and I don't know, I just the first time I read it, I didn't quite realize how ridiculous that card is at three mana, but that's probably not good enough for Legacy still. Yeah, I agree. When you're, when you're casting, like, blue CMC three mana spells, it's like, there's so many insane options. Like, there's True Name Nemesis, basically is the... The main one, but then there's also stuff like, you know, something like Back to Basics locks your, locks your opponent out of the game completely. Something like Naraset, like, locks your opponent out of the game and gets you two cards. So, like, the bar is just very high. Yeah, and this one takes, like, you can make a 3-3 after two turns. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's not good enough for Legacy, but it's it's definitely better than I originally well, thought. Well, let's talk about it. cards who we think are good enough. I think Charming Prince is definitely good enough in Humans, so that's kind of a, like... It's a 2-mana two 2-2, two, two, and when it enters the battlefield, you can gain 3 life or scry 2. And there was one more mode. It flickers a creature on right. your own side. It's like a flicker for your creatures. So that's, that could be really useful for like reflickering your Thalia's lieutenants, protecting your creatures. So yeah, I think this card is, is pretty powerful. It's definitely going to see play in humans, possibly death and taxes. And the gain 3 life is, is super relevant against a deck like Dark Deaths, where you just need to go above 20, and then your sorcery speed removal becomes turned on, and it's just that much harder to win. I actually think it's definitely playable in Death and Taxes for two reasons. A lot of the times you just want to flicker your own creatures anyway, and uh, so I don't think it would replace Flicker Wisp, but at two mana, flickering your own creature with like a Stoneforge Mystic or to protect a creature or to tutor one of your tutor creatures, that's very good. But also the Scry. The Scry yeah. is really good in Death and Taxes, because Death and Taxes is often looking for certain things or just lands or whatever. Yeah, Bob wasn't really convinced of the scry when, when Travis and I were praising it uh, as like being good enough to, to make this card playable. And I remember Travis also mentioned a mode of Charming Prince. Is if you get two of them, you can basically establish this engine where for humans, for example, where you can keep getting comes into play triggers, which is relevant for Thalia's lieutenant. But yeah, I think that's more something that we've probably seen in modern, not in legacy. And the game three is not irrelevant because uh, Depths is a deck, and uh, you have wastelands and ports and um, Caracases, and so it takes quite a bit for the Depths decks to. I mean, I've heard people say Depths is a bad matchup, so Depths is a good matchup for DNT. But regardless of either of those, this card does something against yeah. Depths. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, for, I forgot we actually talked about it with Jarvis, so. Uh, yeah, definitely think this card is going to see play. Julian, did you have one in mind that you wanted to talk about too? Yeah, the the only one that I actually added to the Google Doc, which I felt was probably going to see play, actually I saw it seeing play on Twitch at least, is Deafening Silence. It's an enchantment for a white. Each player can't cast more than one non-creature spell each turn. So it's kind of similar to Ether's One Canonist in the decks that want this kind of effect, except for that it's one mana less. And I guess that makes it playable. Like, I'm really not a big fan of the card because I feel overall it's kind of underpowered. And it also, if you have green, it competes with uh, Veil of Summer. So I'm really not too high on this card, but I wanted to mention it because I do see people playing it. And it does give you a turn one out when playing Death in Texas. The downside, of course, is you can't protect it with Mother of Runes. And I think that's, that's almost 
putting me into the camp of wanting wanting Ethos One Cannonists. But I can see if you have a deck with Thalia or maybe even a Reflexion Revoker, which can stop some combos, that, that you really want that turn one effect as well. Well, so let's think about this card in the context of two different decks. First of all, Death and Taxes. Second of all, like a blue-white deck. So in context of Death and Taxes, obviously this card is insane against Storm. It seems pretty good against Reanimator as well. Obviously it's not going to you know necessarily win you the game, but it could slow them down by a lot, and sometimes that's all you need. And then in terms of against the other combo decks, like against Sneak and Show, I don't, it doesn't do that much against them. Like it could make Omniscient slower, I guess. But I, I just don't see it being that good against Sneak and Show. And then against Depths, yeah, they like barely care. They just cast one spell a turn anyways. So I don't think it's like necessarily relevant enough. Uh, Eric, it also does nothing against Elves, pretty much. I mean, yeah, this card doesn't excite me. This effect has been printed so many times; it costs one less, but it also doesn't attack. So, I, I, I mean, yeah, I think it will see some play, um, but it's not something to get excited about. But I do think the one place where it, what I think Bob is about to start talking about, is in a blue-white deck. A lot of the times, those decks, when Storm is popular, will run Canonist, and this card is certainly going to be better in those decks because of Snapcaster Mage. Wait, is this? card work with snapcaster mage it doesn't right it does because it says non-creature spells so the snapcaster mage doesn't count towards the limit oh okay so you don't turn off your snapcaster cool i wasn't even going for that but th- what i was going for was that the fact that basically in the sneak and show matchup then your force of wills are the final word because they go show until you go force of will and that's over so i mean i think this deck definitely or this card definitely has potential I- i'm not sure if it's going to become a sideboard staple or if it's going to be like not played at all but i could definitely see it you know being being playable i think it'll be very good in, in a blue white blade deck for for as you mentioned because canonist is already really good at doing that like they cast show and tell and uh you just let it you, you can if they're playing omni tell you can just put in your canonist and then like disenchant their omni and, and so you have that but this now it's one mana so you know and it and it again it you would play canonist if you're playing canonist in a blue white deck you're usually also playing snapcaster mages so you like you still get to use your Snapcatchers, which is pretty big when you're playing against combo decks. Okay, I like it. Another card I wanted to touch on, there's not too many more cards I want to talk about, but I think I want to talk about two more cards. One is Bone Crusher Giant, uh, and two is Emery Lurker of the Lodge, or Lock. So first one I want to talk about is Bone Crusher Giant. It has, it's one of those adventure cards. So the instant side is one and a red for deal two damage to any target, and then damage can't be prevented this turn. And then the creature side is 2 and a red for a 4-3. Whenever it becomes targeted, it deals 2 damage to the spell's controller. And the reason I like this card, I kind of like this card as a flex slot, potentially in blue-red Delver or in rug Delver, because it's kind of an answer to true name Nemesis, where like if they if you attack with a Tarmogoyf and then they block with a true name, you can just deal 2 to something. And then because damage won't be prevented by protection, the true name will finally die. So the other thing... I like about this card is, is it's card advantage in Delver, so like you get to kill something and then play a threat. So I think this card is a little bit expensive, but has some extra utility and it's card advantage. So I think as like a one of in Delver, uh, that's where I could see it being played. It's actually kind of cute um, that the interaction that you mentioned, where you basically use it to, for example, shoot a Delver, and then their two name nemesis dies in combat because the damage can't be prevented. That's something I actually didn't think about immediately. And then after after all of it, you finally get your four three, which is, I guess is a nice bonus. It's kind of expensive. Maybe it's even gonna be a thing, and I don't even know. <laughs> People like me, I think about Moonstomp immediately. They're like, hey, if everything goes wrong, at least we can have a four three on the first turn. Hey, hey. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if the metagame changes, right now there's a lot of Tarmogoy, so this card's not great. Um, but if the metagame changes such that there's like a lot of X2s again, then I think this card is pretty strong. But for now, I think the card's not that good, but it's still playable. Yeah, I think uh, I agree. It's it's a little underpowered. It's a little overcosted. I think it's kind of cool, though, but I think it will not see play in any Delver decks because the fact that it's overcosted is pretty big and you can't target an opponent for the two damage and that true name thing basically proved to be unimportant i mean people have played there was well card that was wild slash but just... it required you to have a creature with four power so that was just like a lot more to ask for whereas this card just you know kills true name well not if you're already trying to it doesn't i mean though, it doesn't just kill true name you have to yeah they have to be blocking with it you can't i mean i guess they could attack you can't block you could, though if they have a Delve out and you, you have a Tarmogoyf. So you can't block, so yeah, yeah they have to be blocking. Yeah, so no, you're, you're right. It's probably just not yeah, quite so there in terms of, you know, stopping True Name. Like, it can happen, but... Yeah. And then... F and for Moon Stompy, I think it's uh, it's just too low impact to Yeah, we, to be we have better goblins, right? It. I mean... Yeah. Right. Maybe in the Red Eldrazi deck, though, because they play Punishing Fire, and I found... I played that deck, and I found the Punishing Fire engine to not be, like all that great but like two damage sometimes would be good and i think a four three would be a better follow-up than like buying back your punish fire most matchups mm, so maybe in that deck i mean that deck is already an abomination in itself i don't know i can't <laughs> just i can't take that deck seriously it looks so stupid i don't know if you play the deck you probably play it for a reason i have never played it i only played against it and it looks like like people can't make up their mind they want to be a chunt deck no they want to be a drazi deck no they want to be a moon deck <laughs> <laughs> no, your giant deck. It's mono red Eldrazi. It's like mono white Eldrazi, but it's mono red Eldrazi. Yeah, mono white Eldrazi. By the I way, um, we talked I... about the Legacy Premier League, but the Legacy Unchained is still going on. And I think Eric, you and I, and I think two more people are still in in contention for for the win. And the mono white Eldrazi deck, I think, thus far has proven next to Fs as the best deck in in the Legacy Unchained League that we've played thus far. <laughs> that was I mean, really. I have final statistic. Yeah, Fs is five and zero by now. <laughs> that's crazy how's pox wait a minute <laughs> but i'm the only you know why it's because you know the good decks are the ones that are are were already been tuned and built before so like po even my pox deck did better than most uh than most of the brews that people came up with uh, with uh the banned cards so is what you're saying eric kind of yeah we have some of the brightest minds playing legacy and chain but like if these cards were actually unbanned or yeah, unbanned. Like more people would brew with them, and and they would probably you know end up in better versions than you guys are playing with. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I know my deck building was not very. I didn't spend that much time deck building, and some of my lists were pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm still. I'm pretty sure that we misbuilt Mind's Desire um, quite a lot because Mind's Desire should probably be better than I think it's sitting at four and seven or something. And obviously, it's also playing against other really good decks, but I expected Mind Society to do much better than that. And whenever I played the list, like basically the standard list, the standard list that most people played in the tournament, it felt a bit clunky and not that great. I think there's there's a really good Mind Society build out there that we just haven't discovered yet. But I've been saying that a lot about the deck. Okay, yeah. so then let's talk about last card I wanted to talk about is Emery, Lurker of the Lock. It is two and a blue for a one two legend. It has affinity. And then you can tap it to play an artifact from your graveyard. And also when it ETB, you mill four cards. So this card is seeing a ton of hype in Modern. And I think it definitely has potential in Legacy as well. Um, possibly, there's two shells I'm thinking about. One is just maybe a outcome shell similar to the Modern build. And two is uh, in Blue-White Bomberman, 
where you it basically is like an enabler for like one mana that like you know finds you your combo pieces and is card advantage with the baubles afterwards. So blue white bomberman and maybe some paradoxical outcome deck. The big challenge for paradoxical outcome in legacy is that like it's blue and so everybody has red blast. So is that really the big challenge for the deck? I mean, I guess there's a couple challenges. It's just the combo decks are much better in Legacy, so maybe that's the other big challenge. There's also Chalice on Zero, which is going to be good against it. So, yeah, maybe just Blue-White Bomberman then. I'm not sure. Uh, I think, you know like... My, you ahead. know what my big problem with uh, Paradoxical Outcome Legacy is? That there's not really any good mana artifacts that you can bounce. Because when you play the deck in, in Vintage, you realize most of the power comes from being able to replay all your stuff and getting so much mana. And a legacy, like what do you have, like a four mana Thran Dynamo? You, you basically like, you have to chalice, you have to bounce cards good. like Grim Monolith, Mox Opal, Mox Amber. Um, I'm not even. I know Modern can support those. Legacy, it'll be a little dicier. But yeah, I mean, I see your point. I mean, I want the deck to be good because products the outcome is a lot of fun. But I guess w- once it actually becomes good, it's probably too good for Legacy. But every, yeah, that's like the problem with the card. Yeah, I would love to break this card. Like, I look at this card and I feel like maybe I can break it for for all of Legacy or something. Uh, I probably can't because I don't really have the time to do that or or maybe even the, the mental capacity to do it. But I love the card. We talked about it last cast with Charvis and we all agreed that it has a lot of potential. And I also heard other people say that this is a card you sh- really can't sleep on because once it becomes good and once people figure out what to do with it, it's going to be big. I mean, it's a one mana one two that generates value. Like that's kind of insane. The main like one downside I see is like, I mean, it's actually not even a downside because if it's a one mana one two that mills four, if they Caracas it, like you don't really care. You're just like you'll just cast your one mana mill spell again, uh, and every turn they need to, you need to lock down their Caracas. Otherwise, you're gonna like start generating value. So actually, it's like a legendary creature that's like not even that bad against Caracas. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely think it's like the power level of the card is really high. The downside is you need to play like zeros in your deck, which is pretty weak to Chalice. Uh, but I, I could definitely see like a blue-white Bomberman shell that splashes for this card and it's gets another power boost, basically. Yeah, it's also basically a, um, a one-mana card most of the time that taps for card advantage, right? Mm-hmm. That could be something that you play in, in blue-white midrange decks. But yeah, that, there's not really too many artifacts you would really want to play out of your graveyard. Um Unless you you put like bubbles, that's the obvious approach, right? You put a lot of bubbles into your deck and and do the, the bomberman thing that you mentioned. Yeah, maybe you should try that. Maybe somebody should actually try that. But you can't really play it too early in bomberman, right? That's. It could also be a mono blue painter. There's mono blue painter decks out there that are reasonable already, and this could fit into one of Agreed. those shells. So basically, what I'm saying is, I hope somebody goes ahead and. Kind of breaks this in silence, and then I can pick it up and play it in China, and then yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be it. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, that's been my big thing. Is like I, you know, I'm busier now, and I just don't have that much time to test. Like for this GP, I think I played. Well, I guess my friends were over, so it was a little bit different. But even if they weren't here, I think I would have played like one or two leagues with my list. Whereas I remember years ago, I would play like 20 leagues before, like you know, sleep, getting ready for the GP. So. I don't know. I think I, I just, it's hard to have that much time to like try different things. Yeah, tell me about it, right? <laughs> LPL, oh my God, that's, I, I told you before, right? Like the last month, that was eating up pretty much all of my free time and don't really get to play that much Magic. I still do. And I'll get to play a lot more Magic soon. It's kind of funny, right? When we produce these leaks, um, my work is like 80% before the leak and then only 20% during the leak. So I actually get to 
relax a little bit almost. And I'm look, definitely looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens come Wednesday. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited for it. I, I hope everything goes right and we're going to have some awesome matches. So with that, uh, where can people find your awesome matches on Twitch? Um, Bob, you mentioned that you are streaming more again and you also got in some streams recently. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash grizzlepuff. Twitch is the same, uh, twitch.tv slash grizzlepuff. I plan on streaming twice a week when I get back from my vacation in Japan. Uh, so basically, l starting late October, I'm going to stream at least twice a week and we'll go from there. Awesome. And Eric, um, you're I was going to say, you're still streaming. I, I fully expect you to be still streaming uh, full time. Yes, I am. So I'm on twitch.tv slash EWLandon and I'm there. Almost every day of the week, Monday through Friday, during, uh, during the day, Pacific awesome, time. Awesome, guys. So, and if you want to find more of my stuff, you can hit me up at twitter.com slash itsjulian23 or twitch.tv slash itsjulian. This is also the channel where we're going to stream the Legacy Premier League. And if you want to support the running of the show, you can do that by heading to patreon.com slash everydayjournal, where you can become one of our patrons. Just like this week, We get another Benjamin joining us, as well as Kylie, who are both supporting us on the Delver tier, as well as our Eternal Witness supporters, Matt and James, and of course our Grizzlebrands tier supporters, Baju, Scott, Kurosh, and Jeremy. I still don't know why I named it the Grizzlebrand tier. Like, <laughs> I, I'm known for not liking Grizzlebrand, but <laughs> I mean, it's the, the most powerful creature in Legacy right now, right? I guess. <laughs> so yeah, thank you all for that. Thanks for coming on, guys. And see you all again soon, I hope, for, for the stream on Wednesday. I hope you are going to be there. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Awesome. Bye-bye.